and welcome to another Making Sense of It with me, I'm Kenny. And me, Pete Smith. I've had a really bad incident in the last few days, which is why I'm wearing a high neck top. She did, she has had a bad incident, and I think I'm slightly to blame, but like by proxy. It's not really, you're not to blame. It's not your fault that I served you piping hot pasta filled with cheese and then decided to grab a piece and drop it on my chest and then just watch as my skin peeled off. I know. It's we'll bloody talk. hard work, that. It's well, horrible. Well, in the last episode of the podcast, we were talking... Well, not the last episode, because the last episode is... We've, we've, as you see, if you're following the podcast, we've uploaded the True Geordie one. Oh, yeah, of course. Which I've is, not even uh, thought about that. Yeah, we're forever. But, but uh, the one before that, number 22... We talked about stupid deaths. Yeah, that was that's one of that's a kind of stupid death. Getting Me po- yep. getting smothered in bi- boiling hot cheese and just dying. Yeah, getting cooked. I can't even tell you how painful it is, and I'm not even going to show you. I might wear, like, I'm wearing a high neck top because and a necklace because it's just disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting, and. I don't even know whether, like, legally I should be allowed to sue Sainsbury's because it was their own pasta. Mm. And I think there should be a warning that says the pasta in this is so inconceivably hot that if it meets any surface, it will burn straight through it, including wood, metal and Emma's collarbone. Yeah, it does look a bit sore. It's but, so bad. Yeah. But you're a fast healer, so you're like, you're like a superhero, you. So you're like, you know, if you were an ex-woman, an ex-man, or ex-woman, which is a bit weird, isn't it? We call X-Men still. Um, you would be... Healer. That's what I don't think that's cool at all because loads of X Men just can get beaten really badly and they're all fine. I've seen it happen, like Deadpool as well. He's one of those people who can just basically still die. He can only die when he's not got that whatever it is. I oh, know. How does Deadpool die? Can he get decapitated? No. He no, can... he can get blown into like a million pieces. There's that thing. They put that thing around his, his neck, neck and then yeah. his powers go and then he can die. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if you what don't yeah didn't really happen in Deadpool 2 that at all but yeah it does look so but you are a fast healer as I say if you were a superhero you'd be called healer so anyway what would your X-Men name be my X-Men name oh now you've put me on the spot now I normally have to think about these things I normally have to write a few down come up with it you know what that must be, be terrible in like general conversation <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. really so awkward then, Pete, have you got an opinion on that one second scribe <laughs> scribe scribe just give me an hour scribe yeah I'll come back with the person's minutes. just left yeah what a weirdo <laughs> oh I think I'd be called um oh I don't I, you know what I don't know what I'd be called well, what would your superpower be and then what would the name around it be you absolutely useless person you're well, never ever going on family would be able to with me. think anything and it would happen so yeah. what would you call yourself so because that would be like I'd be called psychicity yeah no thinkatron I'd be like the thinkatron why would it be think which is a juxtaposition to what you actually are because you've already proven that when offered an opportunity to think of anything <laughs> it's almost impossible without prompting exactly you see it's always that thing that you're you, you're not comfortable with that you'd make but what know. does thinkatron do thinkatron um, he uh, he literally can do if you think something it happens. You know, like Domino, who's got all the luck in the world. Well, I'm Thinkatron. Whatever I think about, it happens. That'd it's be like really awful. That'd be terrible. I know because it'd be like the Ghostbusters everywhere. Like the Ghostbusters, wouldn't it? It'd be like yeah. it'd be like don't think of yeah. just clear your mind, clear your mind, and obviously I've been in a car around. with you, and that would mean that every single day, as soon as we set off in the car, if you were Thinkatron, there would just be dead bodies yeah. everywhere. I'd have yeah, but I'd I'd, I'd go to. <laughs> 
the uh, Xavier's uh, castle house mansion, uh, the X Man house, and I'd learn how to use my superpowers. <laughs> uh, I'd train myself, and have I'd have like a word that I'd use, which would make the Thinkytron um, thoughts come real. You know, it'd be like Blamange, and then it'd happen. You know, I'd have to say it because if I was just thinking something and anything could come in my mind, it'd happen. I'd oh, be God. terrible. I'd be like, I, I wouldn't be an X Man, would I? I'd be like one of the baddies. I'd be an X Man buddy. X Man buddies have a bad, na- bad name. I don't think they're X Men. Like, why? No. Why men? I think they're all called mutants. <laughs> yeah, but, but the X Men are the good ones. Right. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so Thinkatron. Why, why man? I think it's quite. Why a, man? Yeah, I think I'd be a, a good, a good uh, Thinkatron. Thinkatron. What would be my outfit? I don't know what my outfit. Be definitely like like a full-on gimp outfit. No. Why? That's what they all look like. Oh, they wouldn't have Apart from well, the one like, he plays. Oh, so like, oh, look, he is Thinkatron. Rocks up, full guy, full big shiny Pulp Fiction ball in my mouth. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Bring out, the, bring out Thinkatron. They open a gimp cage. There he is. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Is that, is that a gimp? <laughs> Little broken deer. I don't know. <laughs> Thinkatron. Don't think. Don't make him think. I'm just thinking about the fact that Jennifer Lawrence in that program is that blue woman who can shapeshift. Is that Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah. The one out of Hunger Games. It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is. But basically she's just blue and naked in it, isn't she? I mean, it's one of those things that never fails to surprise yeah, me. Yeah, and then the other women, people who she plays play themselves. It's, with women, it's like okay to kind of do it. What's she called? Jennifer Lawrence. No, what's the name of the... Co- um, can't think of the name. Of the I, well, no, you can't because you're not Thinkatron, Thinkatron, and you actually can't think of anything without going and writing it down on the list. She's deeply disturbing. I'll show you on bloody Thinkatron in a minute, young lady. <laughs> Massive. Thinkatron. Blamont just falls from the sky and just envelops me. Yeah. Everyone on the podcast is like, didn't um, expect that to happen. Somewhere in New York, there's a massive marshmallow man at the moment causing havoc. With me, it'd just be people setting on fire. Somebody's saying something horrible to me. Well, that's that's a different movie. Yeah, I'd be a baddie. Yeah, you'd be Carrie. I would be. So you're so you're Carrie. Is that what this is? Now? Carrie didn't look at people and set them on fire. Carrie just set things on fire. No, Carrie looked at things that then moved and then happened to set on fire again. That's completely different, <laughs> and that it proves as well. Let me just tell you that Carrie is the example of do not bully somebody that badly because in the end, not only will we not care when you get pig's blood spilled all over you yeah. after you've done it to her, we'll be glad that you got set on fire. Not the innocent the... ones, but the ones who deserve to burn. I'm not saying that bullies deserve burning. I'm just saying that you know, chain of causation. Yeah. This is the kind of thing, and that trips me onto something. We we're going to talk about today anyway because one of yes. the mums sent us a video of her daughter being mercilessly mercilessly attacked in yeah. a park in middleton manchester just down the road you, and yeah. i sat and watched it and i had two feelings that were concurrent so i had the first feeling which was like that is so unjust and that poor child being absolutely attacked and violated mm. in that way and then in the same moment with that kind of what the hell is going on in those kids' homes who are the bullies. And then in the other thought, it was, if that was my kid, I would hunt those kids down. I have something so primordial inside me Mm. that it would genuinely, I think, propel me to potentially do something really bad. Bad for my career, 
bad for my persona, bad for my karma, because I don't feel like I have any control over my instinct as a parent. I know. It's what gets me. It's the um, if if we see the video of it, it was. Uh, as it starts... We'll have to put a link on here. Yeah, I'll try and find it. But as it starts, that if you don't notice it, you just think it's a girl who's on the floor getting her hair really badly pulled, like, you know, which is a sort anyway. But as it first starts, she fully boots her in the face. And as far as I'm concerned, <coughs> I don't think people are really, really educated. Young people are not educated on the serious consequences of booting somebody in the head. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like... It's fair enough, you know, not fair enough, but, you know, getting punched in the face is, is bad. You know, you can hurt people, knock people out and kill people, you know, straight if you, if you do it wrong or do it hard or whatever, you know. Booting someone in the face, booting someone in the head, you know, is some serious consequences. Yeah, I mean, that, the mum sent me some pictures of her daughter afterwards saying, you know, she's really standing up, she's really proud. And I got quite a lot of different celebrities all tweeting and mm. saying, you know, just stand strong. But that feeling of, you know, I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old boys. And at the moment, a lot of their mates are choosing not to go out at night and they're choosing not to go out at night because they think that they might get their heads kicked in. Now, I know we live in a nice-ish area. It's dead ordinary and that has the good points and the bad points. But certainly when I was a kid, even though we did have loads of fights, that's truthful. When I was growing up, there were always fights. They didn't feel pack orientated it was usually one person had a beef with another person yeah and that got into an altercation usually lads if it was girls it tended to be a lot of hair pulling but now it feels like young people and i'm not even just talking about teenagers i'm talking like under 25s they're going out they're just trying to mind their own business they're trying to have a drink out with the mates or trying to go and hang out at the park and just have a bit of fun and they absolutely risk their bloody lives nowadays and it's what blows my mind is People are moaning about kids being on the streets and stuff, right? But nobody's looking at the chain of causation. When you and I used to work years ago with young people, your job specifically was going out into the community and getting kids engaged, right? My job was running CAs, like making sure there were centres, having young people come and have a place to go every single day, all through the day, all through the night until it got to 10 o'clock at night. We provided those services. They were funded by the local government. And that saw boys and girls from very disadvantaged backgrounds coming a place where they could commune together safely. And I had no less than 80 kids every single evening I had it open. And in the day I had 60. Now, the government stopped funding for it. Yeah, when I was working for um, the uh, Youth Inclusion Project up in Teesside, Excuse me. They 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 start to struggle to get funding. They they were got funding pulled left, right, and centre. You mm. know, so it was an independent sort of thing. But you know, we you know, mine was independent though. Mine yeah. was local authority. Yeah, that was, was the well, irony. Yeah. I, I actually remember the time that the local authority started um, setting, making people redundant that were in the area of working with young people. Um, there was people who were working with us, and uh, some of them actually came and started to work for us. And it was there was just too many managers of managers of managers, you know. Uh, so what they did then is got rid of the people that were on the ground and moved the managers down, but on the same pay scale. Absolutely weird, you know. They just closed all the buildings. Yeah, like, that's the, the thing. Yeah, closed youth clubs. Where, youth where have we got a youth club near us? Like literally, I, I can't even name one. Not it was like, not uh, a youth club. Well, then they started bringing out the um, my places, didn't they? And 
funding for that. It's the it. only place you get those are in high-level inner city. I know, yeah. I know. But that's not what we're talking about. High-level inner city, yes, we know we've got urban problems, right? But that's not where we live. I personally think that there should be something like that in every single town. Yeah. It should it, be on, some, a small, it, on a smaller scale. It might be on a smaller scale. I mean, when I lived in... Uh, I moved... Uh, I was in Eston. There was a great youth club. I moved to Saltburn. There was a really good youth club. You know... Um, you know, we got up to mischief there as we were going older, but we still went to the youth oh, God, club. in my day, you could smoke there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. could smoke. Yeah. You know, have a drink, um, not drink alcohol, but you could have a coffee and a, a cigarette. That's In fact, all my yeah. boys used to do that. God, I'm probably going to have lung cancer. Yeah, we used to have a smoking room at the back. You were allowed to go to the back room. Ours was fully smoking. Yeah. The letters, the letters um, fully graffiti it and everything. You know, it was like, they, they, they let us do what young people were going to do, but with that element of, you know, support there. You know, and if they saw somebody who was struggling, they'd work with them. You know, it was a, there was a little bit more freedom there. It wasn't, you weren't like, because you do get some youth workers now, because I've worked in, a, in the industry for a long time, like yourself, you know, in, that, in the young, young people, you do get some youth workers. That are you quite, think the kids? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but you just got to let the young people get, do, you know, and then try and guide them and, and get them involved, you know, and find out what they want to do. And if they don't know what they want to do, then they help them, you know, see what you do with young people. But yeah, there's, and it, I, gotta say it, it did help me there was fights there was bloody fights you know like going back to the fight thing you know but there was never the pack mentality if there was a pack mentality it was a gang of people fighting a gang of people it wasn't a gang of people beating one person up in my that, 10 that years really of working in some of the most challenging estates running some of the highest level pru's as far as difficult and challenging yeah, yeah. kids i did not witness one fight yeah not one so that shows you, firstly, how when you create something that's safe, when you create something that kids want to attend, and when you hear that they've got to have a say in what they want, and you work with them on those terms, it works well. Like, I can tell you the day it changed. I can tell you the day it changed, my project. I can tell you the day it changed. And it's when we mainstreamed. It's when we let go of what we were doing creatively. It's yeah. when it was taken into a mainstream college and all it was about basic skills. And, like, the problem is that kids who have been on the streets and have not had great homes and have had lots of problems with abuse and neglect and diet issues and all the things around it, you can't get them sitting down doing maths and English. They're not ready for it. What they need is to believe that authority likes them. My job first of all was to get them in and be like I see you yeah. I see you as a human being before I see anything else I don't see your dysfunction I don't see your failures I don't see your parents I see you with the potential you yeah. and that's how I met every single young person and I'm not saying I was perfect and there were times where some young people really challenged me you know I've written about it there was one boy particularly and I used to really struggle because he just didn't like me and my big Achilles heel in life is I want you to like me because I'm one of those people that really try my best to build rapport with you quickly so if you kind of don't meet me on my terms in that way mm. I kind of start to doubt myself so it's almost easier to make it about well it's his fault not my fault and it was only through watching him work with another worker who we'd taken on this kind of system where he'd been released from prison and got into employment we'd taken him only when I watched him work with him and I could see that actually this kid was perfectly capable of building relationships, it was just not with me, yeah. that I realised I had to change the way that I worked. But apart from him, all I have is complete fond memories of the ease of building relationships with young people when you don't try and force on them what the state says is correct. Yeah. And sometimes when I'm doing this podcast and I think, what will people think of me 
in 100 years, for example, if they stumble over this old technology and they watch. And there's a part that I think they'll believe I'm massively anti-establishment because I talk a lot about how negatively I feel about the way the system works, the way that kids are brought through the system, the way that average is created, the way that failures are created, the way that success is minimal compared to the amount of human beings in this world that are multifaceted. Mm. Opportunities for success are actually quite minimal and that we kind of pursue that line for most of us throughout our experience as humans. And I don't believe that that's the best way, but I'm not anti-establishment. I just believe that the establishment currently is doing the wrong thing. I think that we have the potential within our establishments to make a difference to our youth, to make a difference to society. Like I look at teachers and I know for a fact that if I said to a teacher, now, you know what, mate, you go in, you assess your kids, you create whatever kind of education system you want in your class. They have to be able to do A, B, and C, but the way you get there, power to you. The system overnight would become fun. The system would become something that kids could relate to. I'm working at the moment with my own boys and they're not turned off by education because they come from a nice home. They're not struggling in education because we give them the support that they want. Are they bored? Oh my God. They are so bored. Do they really think it's relevant? No. Do they really think they're going to use most of this in the future life? No. Because we create the foundation, they have a place where they can thrive in spite of it. Mm. But when you talk to some of the people that I'm talking to at the moment, in particular mother who I see her son, he's a bright, pleasant boy. We both know him. He's very capable, he's very intelligent, and he's going down the entirely wrong path because he's so disengaged. He's so unable to kind of feel that there is any relevance for him. And I kind of really worry that the establishment has all these potentials and possibilities, but it goes in the entirely wrong direction. In doing so, it leaves these car crashes of human beings that could have been something beautiful and amazing. I think there is a... A huge having been a car crash. Yeah, well, you know, I was, I was, I was having a, yeah, I've been a multiple pilot me for a bit. You know, it's, it's. Um, but educationally, I don't think you were as much a car crash as me. No, because um, I think that you actually but, went, didn't you? Well, you at did the end things. of my first senior school, it was a bit of a. I don't know if we've talked about it before. I think yeah, have you talked about it? You've talked about the um, fact that you were like really bullied. Yeah. That was like the main thing and that you had your arts projects ripped up because you were moving to another school because your mum and dad had moved away and you'd been travelling to that school for a long time and yeah. it became an incident about you're not belonging here and you had to fight and deal with all of that bullying. So I know that there was a lot of trauma for yeah, you. Yeah, so when I when I got to that school, I reinvented myself, which is... Reinvention's know, so good. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, you sometimes lie to yourself a little bit, but... I think oh fantasies isn't like yeah, that part of I think isn't I, um, that part of becoming yeah. like you fantasize about yeah. who you are and what you're going to be and then you yeah. just step into it in the but, end. But the young men and women that were, that lived in the place where I moved to were were how do you say like, I don't want to say a different calibre in in social climbing but there's nothing wrong with the, that yeah probably the, the they were, came from a less hard knocks area yeah, and they had was, more aspirations because the parents were yeah. in a different way there's nothing wrong with that you're yeah. not being cruel you're just saying that's the fact yeah the young people and the, the, the there's a different caliber of people as in when it comes to aspirational sort of want you know and class and, and class yeah there was, like it or know, otherwise it was about class yeah so uh, it's not these, fair. They, they, and, and they, they, they'd already discovered um music you know, because the place I moved to wasn't really, it hadn't really, it wasn't there, you know, they didn't really care about it. And art and all these crazy things. That you're things. just naturally Yeah, and I was like, this, and now I'd already been into breakdancing 
when I lived in the sort of urban area, you know, um, so to go to a place where, because I used to hang around, I mean, for a while, I hung around with people that were like two, three, four years older than me because they were break dancers, you know. Um, that fizzled, that went, you know, as you get a bit older. And, and, but then I moved to Salt and I was slim to that sort of vibe and music and dancing, you know. And everybody there was just, they had like little links to London and one guy had a, had a cousin that was in a rap band and, you know, who was from Ireland. And it was just that sort of, you know, there was uh, the first sort of mixed race and black people I met. You know, st- we didn't really. We had a, f- a few Asian guys and stuff like that, which were mercilessly bullied at the time. You know, um, so you didn't really see any of different cultures. So there was there, and it was like it was that vibe. So it was brilliant, you know. And, and yeah, I sort of got that. Everybody wanted to, about five or six, seven of my mates wanted to go to art college as well. But you also it started was, your youth work because somebody was on a project, a youth project, and they saw you and saw that you had capacity to do more yeah, than well, just be a young on, person. Yeah. And you started your career through yeah. that. That's what social engagement's about, and yeah. that's what we're lacking massively. Yeah, I got asked to go and help on a yeah, an yeah. Art, an art thing, and then um, the, the 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 lady who was setting up a project, the youth inclusion project, was just asked, was talking to me. And I told her my ideas of what I think young people are really wanting these days because I've just literally come away from that, you know, and I'm still, because I was quite young when I started there, you know, so I was still a young person myself in my head, just 20-something, you know what I mean? I started working for the local authority voluntarily at 18 years old. Claim to fame, I actually worked with a member of Atomic Kitten when she was a young person at school. I won't say the name of that individual, but nonetheless, as a volunteer, I came into contact with her and she was amazing. Even back then, she was amazing. And the truth is that I look back at those days and I would never be allowed to do that now. The thing about legislation, the thing about what's really stifled in the UK is when I did my degree, I literally was like... I'll just ring up the local education authority. And I was like, I rang them up and I was like, have you got any, put me through to education welfare. And I got in touch with this guy called Terry and Chris. They were brothers and they ran that kind of side of it. And they were like, come in, come in. And I was like, I want to work with young people. I was 18. And they were like, right, what kind of young people? Kids that have got problems. They want to work with dysfunction. They were like, start next Tuesday. Because I had two days off a week, every week. So for two days a week, I went to the schools in the local authority and I sat in a room, wholly unqualified, wholly unschooled in life. And I sat with young people. And you know what? I discovered that I just had this abundant passion for watching them grow when they're given the place to do it. And what blew my mind was there was like a three-year age gap, two-year age gap at times, but I felt like a grown-up because I was doing a degree. And I did that for my entire degree. And then the day after I finished my degree, I started working full-time for them before I'd even got my results. But you could never do that. They would never let you do that now. There would be policy, procedure, that's not appropriate. And it's like, you know what? That's what is wrong with the UK. So I did the True Geordie podcast. And whenever Brian and me get together, and I class Brian as a friend, I've said to you that I meet some people in my life and I just feel like I've known them forever. And I have such love for him. It's really nice to watch as well. I uh, have such love for him. Just being able to see the sort of the rapport you both have when you both talk. Honestly, he wraps um, me in his arms to give me a hug and I just feel like I've been there before. And I don't know how else to say that, but it's that kind of feeling of... I know you. I don't know anything about divinity, creativity regarding creation and this world. I don't know anything about religion. The only thing I've got is like my personal faith and spirit in something greater than this, right? But when I meet people like Brian, I have a feeling that 
I have known him. Yeah. That we it's have funny, found each other again. Yeah, it's funny how that can happen, isn't it? It's, it's rare. Yeah. I call it my breed yeah. when I meet somebody from my breed. And we were like talking on his podcast. And since then, what always happens, um, the last time I went on with Brian as well, lots of young people watch his particular channel. And he's like a really inspirational guy because he comes from a brilliant background of love with his mother. Yeah. But then he talks really openly about his dysfunction and how it could have gone one way or the other. And actually for him, it's gone the best way. And he puts a lot of that credit in his mother's arms, so yeah. to speak. But we were kind of having this conversation and I was talking about what I'm always talking about, which is how I kind of feel like there are so many unequal systems in the UK. And then a lot of young people have got in touch with me, both when they've been listening to the podcast about the podcast itself um, and also have privately emailed me. And firstly, so much love for the young people who watch me and kind of forgive this old lady who's on there just rambling on about whatever. You know what? I think it's because, though, you've worked, as soon as we saw, you've worked with young people for a long time and you've never sort of lost touch with no. what young people are into. You know? well, young people are um, my passion. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's the difference between... But also just the thing that I see with young people is that that's all they are, young people. They're not non-adults. They're not non-knowledgeable. They're not non-wise. They're just young. Mm. So the way I see young people and youth, and I'll put under 30s, really, but certainly in the under 25s, all I see is possibility and potential. Yeah. And all I hear from a lot of them is this fear that they have not quite got where they need to go. People have got in touch and said, you know, I didn't go to university. I want to do what you do. What can I do? Yeah. And I kind of sit there and there's a bit of me that feels just really inspired that firstly they've watched and gone, that's what I want to do. That's inspiring. But then I kind of go, what's my advice? Because my advice should be this. Okay. Go to university, get a psychology degree, do an MSc, go and do a PhD if you want to do clinical, forensic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, MSc for forensic, but you know, you can do that. But then there's a bit of me that's like, that's such a big journey to have to go on when it comes down to what you really need to do what I do. Mm. And I don't want to go against the academic system entirely because there are great things that come out of it. But for the most part in psychology, it's not really that relevant. You know, when you think about sitting in a room with somebody, particularly when we're talking about things like counseling psychology, clinical psychology, when you're sitting in a room with somebody, it's about your relationship with them. It won't matter how many letters you've got after your name, how many years in the post. If you can't sit with somebody and be with them in their pain or show them their direction of hope, and go on that journey with them loyally and dutifully and with complete compassion, then you're not going to be any good. Mm. But that's what we tend to say to people. We say, you've got to do A, B, and C. And this guy got in touch with me and said, you know, I really want to do it, but I haven't got A, B, and C. And I'm like, you know, be a maverick. You don't need to do that stuff. You don't need to get those qualifications. If you want to make a difference to this world, give yourself a title and start something. Yeah. That's what the greatest creators do. One of the things that I constantly say to people is no group of people really change the world. No organization no. changes the world. It's one person who says, no, yeah, I'm uh, not doing it that way. Malcolm X is. Yeah. It's all of those individuals that stood up. Martin Luther King. It's Louis Pasteur. It's the people who went, no, I'm going to do it my way yeah 
And that gives me more excitement to advise young people. So like, I came away from that podcast and I've got all these young people getting in touch with me. Like I said, with so much love. And that's another thing, you know, that I see with the youth of today, that there is so much positivity and compassion that they want to share with you. Like the fact that people are motivated enough to text me a tweet mm. and to put it out there and to go, thank you. It's like this exchange that probably when they're doing it, they're not thinking that much of it. You know, they're thinking that's moved me. I'm going to say it. But for the receiver, for me, every single one of those like has such meaning. Yeah. Like really such does. meaning yeah, for me. Nice. It's, it's not nice. nice. It's more than nice. It's reinforcing and it, it's compassion and it's caring and it's telling me that I have meaning and that is powerful and when I'm talking to people about social media and all the negatives associated with it and there is a lot of negatives associated with it because we know we can see the research like if I'm going to bring some academic research in there we can see it we can see that people are feeling more isolated more desperate to be perfect taking less responsibility mm. but that's always going to happen with a new system isn't it it's always going to happen we, until we find that balance yeah. and I think for the most part the connection in cyberspace is going to be something that fundamentally has changed the world for the better. Yes, absolutely. Because there's people, you know, that, you know, there's, there's always the good, the, the bad and good, isn't there? There's people that are socially isolated and can't really make friends, but then they're doing it online. There's that vibe, you know, people who are even disabled, you know, uh, yeah. and being able to build a whole world of, of friendship and, you know, not just knowledge, but friendship and connection. Yeah, online, you know. So you used to really be the only gay in the village. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know that little Britain sketch was actually real for so yeah. many young people that they were the only person who they felt yeah. related well, to the world the way they did. Nowadays, it's like click, 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 click. Yeah. Well, especially you know if you're if you've got like a, a certain interest or a certain vibe or yeah, like say you 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 sort of gay or you're straight or you know you're, you're into something that you can't find other people that are either the same as you are into you know because you live in such an isolated village in the middle of you know the yorkshire dales or up in scotland like where it, just, it takes like two hours to get to the nearest you know you're gonna feel so isolated and alone which then leads to a lot more sort of mental health issues or can do I'm not saying it always will you know so the internet is an absolute phenomenal it's tool a godsend yeah absolutely and i think leading on to sort of, you know, looking at how we have to embrace it, you know, and, and that is, it's not going anymore. It's no. not going anywhere. I try trying to tell my dad, he's like totally technophobe. He's like, what is this? You know, like, he doesn't, I think he only, only just about knows what a TV remote is, you know, um, but, uh, you know, he, he doesn't seem to have the want to do it. And I'm like, but dad, you're, you're missing out on... I think that for the silver surfers, it's definitely something that they either take up or leave. I don't think there's anything in between. Like, my mum lives on Groupon. Like, she's been living on Groupon yeah. now. She's been on more hotel breaks, and we've paid for more hotel breaks than probably, firstly, we should. And secondly, thank you, Groupon, because they're usually very, very accommodating <laughs> in their price. Yeah. But for her, it's opened up quite a big world, you know. She looks online when she needs information. She looks online when she needs advice. My, my dad is like, if my mum died tomorrow, the iPad would die with her. Yeah. There's nothing there. My dad's there. the same, yeah. My mum's, my mum's sort of very similar. She's she's on there and, you know. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, Your mum's like, any deaf ones, because your brother's deaf. Any deaf inspiring stories yeah, shared sure on social them. media. Yeah, yeah. She's she sort of got her head around like, what to share and not to share. And, but I think know. that's one of the things that has let the government lay off having to bother about things like places to 
meet each other like that's one of the things that the government can get away with they're like oh we're all cyber connected now let's create a forum let's create an area where young people can talk about things they want but I'm like what has happened to our world where a kid can't on a Thursday or Friday night rock up to a centre full of other young people playing pool being managed by really really consolidated and skilled staff Mm. who know how to deal with bullying who know how to see what's going on why have they disappeared because that is where a lot of our mental health issues begin because you know and i know that when we were working with young people it was our job to notice it was our job to see yeah you had to sort of um like like x-men really it's like if what was your superpower being able to see when a young person's struggling or there's something going on that's right you know we had to yeah i Mm. mean obviously the training you do a lot of training around that but to be fair you can train all you like. I think if you know, you know, you know, you can, you can discuss. Just get a sense of it, don't you? Yeah. I got a message off a young person on Facebook the other day and she'd found me and she realised that she thought I was the person that used to work with her years ago. Yeah. And so I kind of responded and said, yeah, it was. And she wrote that, she really appreciated that even though she never actually confided in me what was going wrong with her at home, she knew I knew. And she knew that in having that knowledge, I understood why she was responding and reacting the way that she was. And she wrote a sentence about what I'd said to her that she plays over and over in her head, which is whilst you can't change the way that certain things happen to you, you can change your life to ensure that you don't feel a prisoner to it. Mm. And I kind of took a step back in that breath where you go, it doesn't matter how much money you've got or how successful you are in your job, if it doesn't have real meaning, then I don't think it has that much worth no matter how rich you are. Like, I'm certainly not rich by a long, long way. But those moments where you think, God, that girl all those years ago listened to that line Mm. and plays it over again in bad times. And there's another girl many years ago and she wrote to me, She wrote to me a long time ago. So this is just when I got in the public eye about 12 years ago. And she just wrote me a card and she sent it to the local authority where I used to live, work, sorry. And it just said, Emma, I've always remembered education is a way out of any situation. I educated myself. I got out. Love Emma. Because she was called Emma as well. And I've still got that card. And she felt that need to kind of express that. And again, for me... The rewards in my work are often just the ones you play for yourself. You know, you think you've had an impact, but when you get that kind of recognition and reflection that you had impact, it's so good because you kind of think that's two people that I've had some kind of impact on. And it's narcissistic to want that impact, but it's also partly because you just want to know that all of that passion has gone somewhere positive. Yeah, you say it's narcissistic, but it's more sort of, you know, you're there, you wanted to help and to find out that you have helped... And to find out that only little bits matter. Yeah, I've had a few young people where I've seen yeah. uh, that I've, I've worked with and they've gone on to, you know, I think there was one young man I'm actually friends with on Facebook now. He's, 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 well, he's he, doing amazing, the artist. No, no, I'm talking oh, before that. Got, yeah, 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 no, there's, yeah, there's You've a, got quite a lot, but you've, yeah. got, you've got boys and girls, but boys yeah, particularly who've done really well. One of them I really well. East, he lives in Australia now and got a family and, yeah, just... Yeah, it looks really well, you know. And this is a young person that could, you know, there's there's lads who went in the in the forces and have, have thrived, and you know, still in there and like sergeants and you know, it's yeah. There's there's a few that um, I've seen that I didn't actually indirectly work with that have gone the wrong way, 
you know, I'm not saying it's because I didn't directly work with them, you know, but the, yeah, they haven't done too well. But that's you know. just statistics. Yeah, well, you that's see that. life. But, but the, yeah, there's that's, a lot that have done. That's the well. key, though. What I think the job is of every adult in this world, in fact, is to meet young people and to see them. Not to see their grades and not to see their achievements. That's just paperwork. Mm. But to see them. So I think in all of my work that I do, and I do it with clients and definitely with the young people that I had the pleasure of working with, my job was to look into them as a human being and to pick out the things that resonated as standing out. Every single human being, whether it's their stubbornness, whether it's their ability to argue black is white, you know, whether it's their energy, that crazy energy that Mm. some boys and girls have that drive people mad, but that's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, if you can... Yes, that's, you see, it's the arguing amazing. the black and white is, my gosh, you should go into law. <laughs> Stubbornness, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. You know, All the, of those qualities. Yeah, the energy, my you know, it's like leading. Yeah, but energy fun. Yeah. Go and be somebody that does things for people with that need for that kind of energy. Yeah. Life coaches need that kind of energy. Yeah. What I'm saying yeah. is I saw my job as pulling that and directing yeah, it it's a great way and to we see don't it. do it so you get the kid with adhd in the classroom and the teachers are so stressed with everything that that becomes a problem and they end up not in the classroom and then it causes disaffection then it causes dysfunction then the story goes on yeah. i would get those boys and i would be like right we need to deal with the attention mm. we need to figure out how to get your attention span correct because obviously if you're going to go and do something with people you need to at least be aware who's in your group but if you can turn that energy and master it, yeah, and Funnel like you, and some of my boys into... went into the forces as yeah. well. But I had one boy who got a mentor through my group, so he was matched with an adult, and he became a mountain kind of, um, you know, adventure mountain kind yeah, of. He took climber. people on mountain, no, not a mountain climber, well, a guide, like, like a, a guide, yeah. um, and not like on massive mountains, but like in the lakes. Yeah. And he started working with him and got a job with him. Well, you, and his energy you, yeah. was it. It was like he was. It was so positive about everything. He was so optimistic about everything. But when you're so positive and optimistic every single day and your energy is like this all the oh. time, people, you drive them mad. Yeah. But when it's channeled, you actually inspire them. Yeah. And there's a young man who worked with at Manchester College who, who um, got him into... Um, he, was, he, was, he was doing something with weapons and stuff like that. And he got into um, sword fighting. Um, Fencing. Fencing. Yeah, he became and uh, slightly different than sword yeah, well, fighting. But as far as I'm aware, I think he's I think he became like a, a champion fencer. And uh, the last time I saw him, he'd come out of the college and he was just telling me that, you know, this is a guy who was on a plastering course, you know, and, and he suddenly became a yeah, a but fence, seeing that a, a championship fencer, thing, no, but yeah. it was like it's like with Evan, our youngest boy, Evan, is 13 years of age, very stubborn. That does not come from me. I'm quite playable. I'm quite able to be manipulated. I have a feeling you're blaming me for this one. No, you're, I'm not blaming you. You're not at all stubborn. No, you're no. like the least stubborn person I've ever met. <laughs> if I say, can you just do that? Yeah, yeah. Even if you have to drop everything. So no, it's not from you. Yeah. His sense of humour is you, which is what I'm actually talking about. So even though he's very stubborn, infuriatingly, some would say, mums and dads out there, to the degree where occasionally, if it was a situation where, like Pete was suggesting, and thinking and becoming were possible, he'd be this big and in a little box where I'd have placed him. But anyway, that's the negative side of 
personalities that you've got to still go with because it's going to be important for him to be stubborn at some point in his life. It's going to be important not to roll over, and I amen to that. But his personality regarding his humour, we like constantly, constantly volumise that, don't we? We, do. we constantly allow him to be nonsense orientated. The child has not said a sentence that makes sense in at least four years. Brilliant. Just random mumblings and ramblings that often result in him shouting random things out and we just let him because we just know that is going to take him on a journey of expression that will hopefully mean he does something he loves. Yeah, I think I think we can liken it, and we'll, from we watched the other day was the the sketch from Monty Python of where they do the the insult room and the argumentative room, and they go in the different rooms and it's just complete nonsense of just like gibberish. I know, That's just him. absolute gibberish. And it's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's definitely unique. And he's using he's using words that just come into his head, you know. Often He'd be a good thinkertron. Highly inappropriate words <laughs> yeah. sometimes, though. He does sometimes insult people without really thinking. But the point is that, like, if we don't kind of allow him that place to grow, how is he ever going to find out what he really wants to thrive in? Because yeah. I think to myself, you know, he may well end up on the stage. He's not at all an extrovert. And this is the irony as well that I kind of think that people often look at their personalities and then don't realise that you can have, like, a completely different ability than your personality would specifically suggest. Suggest. So, like, Evan is an introvert in many ways. Yeah. He's quite a quiet kid. He's this definitely got got confidence issues to some degree. You know, he doesn't, like, mm. throw himself out there. He would definitely not be somebody who led right now. But the minute he has a spotlight on his humour, he's just in his comfort zone, isn't yeah. he? The, 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 comedy, the comedy thing is... I've got, you know what? I can see him. I just have a feeling he's going to either write comedy or be involved in comedy. And it's not just like the normal comedy. I'm talking off the wall sort of, you know. Bring back Monty Python. Yeah, the Monty Python-esque sort of, you know. Rick and Bob. Rick and Bob stuff. He's really... God, I hope so, because I haven't got a pension. Yeah, and I I just can't see how he... he, I mean, from from this age, he's, uh, you know, he's he's, he's clever with it as well, so... Do you know one of the other things that people keep talking about, um, not young people by the way this is just general I'll get emails quite a lot people keep telling me that I am rich (laughs) people keep suggesting that I am very wealthy they have made an assumption that that I am on television and that I do things like this and that I'm really wealthy and I just want to disclaimer out there that it's wholly misguided. Yeah. I'm not at all wealthy. No. As I've just noted, Pete and I don't even have pensions. We're throwing ourselves on the mercy of yeah. the state, which isn't looking too good in the long we're term. Living, we're living it. We're <laughs> living for the moment. We are living for the moment. Yeah. That's the thing. But isn't it funny that perception is so interesting? Because obviously in the north, we can live in a relatively nice house in an okay area. We've got a nice garden. I know that that makes us above average because obviously I've got a profession and you've got a profession, but we're both completely freelance. So oh, yeah, you work for what yourself people don't like... realise is that, yeah, we completely work for ourselves. And also, like, i just not very materialistic, so I do a lot of free stuff still. I'm really bad at doing free stuff. <laughs> Every comment you ever see in any newspaper, completely free, yeah. just do it, it's fine. But the funny thing is that you kind of start actually thinking to yourself, should I be rich? Am I doing something wrong? Is this what I'm meant to be like? All these people questioning, you know, well, if you you don't know what you feel like because you're wealthy and it's like, I, I can't, like, it's so funny how people just decide that you must be different to them. No, if you're rich in the context of, you know... Wealthy, uh, love. 
love. We're really yeah, rich well, I mean, oh, living in, in a, in a, in a multi millionaire in a Western world where you know, roof over our head, food in our belly. Oh my god, yeah, that's being able wealth. to have autonomous, autonomous decision making. You know, being able to do what you want. That's really true. You know, women being able to drive cars, which has only just happened in bloody Saudi Arabia. You know, they have women only parking spaces now, which is horrific. Really, it's brilliant now that they can drive, but the horrific. Just thinking, women only parking spaces could be great. No, I mean, it's horrific. They've only just let them drive. Right, okay, but I'm glad that they've given the women-only parking spaces. Know, I'd yeah. like some of those. <laughs> Amazing. Like, just like that Monty Python sketching in. No, 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 I no, bet, no, I bet, no, no, I bet in Saudi Arabia, just, the women-only parking spaces, because it's been designed by men, would be massive. They'll just be really big because they won't believe a woman can park. Pink. They're pink. Yeah, pink. Oh because every lady likes pink, obviously. I have never in oh, my entire no, life had... Oh, I've got one pink dress, that's a lie. Because it was in the River Island sale. Yeah, I just, you know, come on. It's just like, you know, did you consult the uh, misogynistic uh, painters? At least the, it's a step know. forward. It is, yeah. At least it's a step forward. At least, good. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't shouldn't have been in the first place, really, should you? Not progress. Yeah, progressive, pr- you know, progression is, is where it's at. So. I'm just loving the fact they've painted them pink, though. I hate pink. I yeah, really it's, do. It's all right for when you're doing graffiti and stuff. You know, pink's great. You know, pink, turquoise, light, pastel colours, but nice, vibrant, really good colours, you know. But that's it. <laughs> flowers, flowers are pretty nice when they're pink, you know. Do you know, it's a weird one, isn't it? At the moment, I kind of think to myself, we're halfway through 2018. I'm nearly 30, you know, you're nearly 32. So that's not a lie at all. But your life and my life, it's like on fast forward. I feel like it's constantly on fast forward. And don't get me wrong, I'm like having acupuncture and that's helping me to live in the moment a little bit more. But I am struggling at the moment with this whole concept of loss. And Mm. it's come up before, but I don't know whether it's just my age I keep having these hugely nostalgic experiences, like really powerful. I wake up in the middle of the night and it's really powerful. I wake up in the morning and it's really powerful. And I know that nostalgia is often associated with positivity and that's a great thing, but mine are kind of a little bit loss orientated. And trying to manage that is really concerning me because I I genuinely want to do this all again. I I have this sense that, there's like another 10 lifetimes that I want to live. But, and but being able to oh, being able to know that you've been doing it before and you're doing it again, but just so you can... You know what? I'd like to do it all again and on through the same time as the same person, but know that I've already done it once and I want to remember every last single moment for what it is and never forget it and always know that... No, you don't savour things when you don't have an understanding of the you importance don't, of yeah, it. No, no. It's just that every, you don't know what's happening in the future. You don't know what it's like to be an adult. You're a kid. You're growing up. It's just day by day by day. I know. But, yeah. I'm I mean, burdened. You were burdened as yeah, well. When yeah. I was younger, I was just burdened. Yeah. I would just sit and be like, oh my God, everybody else's life is great. Everybody else is doing better than me. Everybody else is prettier than me. Everybody else is thinner than me. Everybody else is more successful than me. Everybody else is going to be richer than me. Everybody else's life is going to be more exciting than me. And like, there was that for like 10, 15 years of my life. Yeah. That was what was going on in you my know, brain. You know what I've been doing lately as well? Mm. I've been doing, um, when I've come across somebody who's, I think they're on the same age, whether I know them or whether I don't know them, I'd always lead on to that sort of, 
Oh, I'm being quite nostalgic lately. Please talk to me about the olden times. Thanks, thank you. Oh, no, just, just to see if they're going through the same vibes, if it's like you know, this existential crisis thing that goes on when you get to a certain age and you start reminiscing. I've started having thoughts about when I was at school and that things, you know, I'm making the other people that, like, I was at school at and just going, oh, I've just remembered this, you know. Do you remember that? You know, and just to see if they're in the same. You know what? I think they are. I think everybody of a certain age, you know, 32... <laughs> yeah 43 um it, you know i'm sure that we all go through it i'm sure we all start having the same feelings. but i think it's because you have to start accepting that life is a journey of loss and you have to undertake to do it joyfully and this is the age like i know that i have my mum and dad still like some people don't have their mums at 20 I know, and but i still have my mum and dad and that means that that's going to be a point what i have to confront hmm. at some point if it goes the way that it should as far as you bury your parents before you die, that's something that I have to get used to. The idea of not having my mum and dad is paralysing. It's paralysing for me. And I know it's just completely normal and everybody goes through it and I work in this area and I understand grief, but it paralyses me. And I know that I've lost Pam, my best friend, and that's been awful. And it didn't paralyse me. I just walked through it. But I kind of feel like they my parents have been a big foundation of my support mm. and a big foundation of my success in the fact that literally they congratulate me when I cross the road. It's as simple as that. That's like, brilliant. The way you cross the road is amazing. Well done. You should cross it again. Look, she's crossed it again. Even better. Even better. You know, they, everything it's I like do. To add that every time that Emma does cross the road, she does it with three other people and the, like the Beatles. Honestly, on a serious note, Pete, my parents literally raised me up so high. They've forgiven me for all my misdemeanors. They've rewritten my history. I was apparently brilliant at school. And that is just testament to their rose-coloured spectacles of past. Yeah. And the idea of not having that, and the idea of being the matriarch, because already I do all of the social gatherings. I'm the centre of Christmas. I've taken that on already. The idea of having those empty chairs, and every time we lose somebody in the family, like that empty chair that isn't filled anymore is something that is really symbolic and significant. And the irony is that it's so normal. Grief is just so normal. Like, death is so normal. It's just going to happen. There's nothing we can do Fair about enough. it. And I know that this is one of those things, and I read it in Pam's eulogy, but if you're listening and you're kind of somebody who's either going through a deep loss or you might just have lost somebody or you might be, like I was a year ago, confronting losing somebody that has more meaning to you than anybody else in the world. And one of the things that I said at Pam's eulogy was that as a human being, I have no understanding in science as to why we would love somebody who was dead that there's no reasoning behind that surely to love somebody who is dead would be bad for us because they can't come back they can't give us comfort it causes pain mourning them creates that real feeling of emptiness and that chasm and void of them not being present so the only thing that that sparks my knowledge within is that that must be an invisible thread that connects us to that person, that that love is required to connect us wherever they are with that human being. And I said in Pam's eulogy that I really believe that that love that I feel for her that is now experienced as loss and grief, that's the thing that ties me to her and that one day will indelibly lead me to find her again. And I I really believe that because I can't see any science in mourning somebody 
that isn't here anymore. What's the yeah, point? It doesn't make there sense. has to be purpose in it. Yeah, it's, I love the way that I love the way it sounds, and I love the way it is. It is. Definitely. It's the only way I can understand it, and maybe that's just a defense mechanism. But I genuinely feel that it's a bit like I pray every night. I don't pray to a deity that is any religion. But I pray every single night and it's because I talk to every single person that I've lost and I go through saying goodnight to them every single night and the list gets longer. But I genuinely feel that one day they'll be like, nice one. You literally remembered every Every single night, including when you were very drunk and it was an effort. And those times you nearly fell asleep halfway through. But good girl, you did it. Because I kind of feel like I need to keep it alive. I think that's wonderful of you. I sometimes think you're falling asleep after someone realise that the list is long. It and is you long. get frustrated when you've forgotten the name, you have to go back. I do have to, it's in yeah. an order. I know. I have to. I don't want to offend anybody. There's been marriages between people that have lost people before them and I need to have them in between because I don't want either of them to be missed out. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But it's not ridiculous, I think it's I want it honoured on both sides equally. It's a strange one with life. I, I just kind of look now and understand less than I've ever understood before and it's a strange position to be in because I think wisdom what real wisdom is is defining that you don't know yeah anything like you can know facts that you're told you know you can understand that this is called the table because somebody gave it a name and it's made out of wood because somebody told you that but they're so different to the understanding of being like what our presence is here what we are about and who we are you know yeah it's strange you know we can um we could sit and talk about it for hours couldn't we i know you know that's um yeah that'd be please no answers i know you can get there and you can deep you know like you've done on the russell brand podcast sat there and chatted about stuff like that and got really into it you know um trying to make sense of it but that's when people go insane isn't it that's when you can like, you know, some people can't handle the the thought that they'll never know, you know. Yeah. It's strange, isn't it? It is strange. But that'll move us on to a lighter note before we finish this podcast. Because I've been, you know, we've got to mention it. I'm going to mention the World Cup. I'm going to pr- let's do some predic- predictions right now. Ugh. As, who do you think is going to win? Well, I'm hoping my sweepstake teams. Go on, and who are your sweepstakes? Go on, looking for you looking. I can see you looking Belgium, for the sweepstakes. Go on. France. Oh, how do you know that? Because I told you earlier. Go on, who else? Wait a minute. <laughs> are you actually suggesting that there is. You just asked me who they are, and now I'm getting criticised. Oh, my God, I, know, I can't believe it. You, you can remember who yours are. I can't believe Belgium, France. Yeah. It's not Croatia. No, that's Even Evans. though I want it, that's Evans. It, they've definitely won. I've won. You've got like... Uh, I've won. Remember. Yeah, you've, you've France, France... Well, I don't know what... We're actually doing this while Belgium are playing, so we'll find out. Belgium and France are my two main yeah. ones. But then... Ooh! Ooh! A little, little place. Uh, Panama. No, no, not Panama. Although it sounds Costa a bit like Rica. Panama. No, Peru. Where is it? Where's the sweepstake? Peru. It's the sweepstake. Is, it's there. It's over there. She's going to get it. She's going to get the sweepstake because she needs to know. Oh, here we go. It worked out where the whole family, that whole family, we had four teams each. Okay, I'm France. Yeah, France. I am Belgium. Right. I am South Korea. South Korea, they're playing. They're a sure thing. And I am Morocco. Morocco as well. You are. Go on. What ones are you? Brazil. You're Brazil. Yes. Come on. No, well, come on, next one. Uh, I am Brazil. I am... You criticised me. Switzerland. Yeah, you are. Yeah, who uh, won, which is good. 
Uh, I am Saudi Arabia. Yes. Yeah. And I am Costa Rica. No, went there once. You nearly had a fight with somebody because he was very rude to you about queuing. Oh my God. Tunisia. No, no, I wasn't with you then. You were married to somebody else, but let's leave uh, that behind. Oh, we went there, did we? No. Never been to Iran. <laughs> no. no. We went somewhere. The queuing system was a bit of an issue. Certain individuals... Egypt. Egypt. I'm Egypt. You're Egypt. Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Arabia and the other two that oh, you I just didn't said. know I was Egypt. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I don't really care anyway, but Pete wants England to win, but I think that'll be 40 quid up if mine wins, so I'm kind of yeah. stuck on the fence. Well, I'm Brazil. You know what? You've been clicking things all the way through oh, right. this. Let me just oh, tell dear. you, as an individual who works in sound engineering and filming, that is a faux pas of the greatest position. Yeah. Let me just tell you, any of the interference that you see in this, from the stroking the table to the clicking of things, it's not me, it's Pete. That's the kind of person he is. A complete non-professional person who works in an area where really he should be professional because that's actually what he does all the time. <laughs> but don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Anyway, yeah, so I thought we'd just finish it up on a bit of a lighter note with the World Cup. Is the World Cup a lighter note? Because Women's Aid have come out and said that 32% increase in domestic violence when it's the World Cup. Oh, she, she, I, I know. I mean, I was trying to start to finish it up on a lighter note. And then, you know, Why pick a subject that increases <coughs> domestic violence then, I, Peter? I'll tell you what, I don't know. I think that's drunken, misogynistic bastards that do that really i think that's correct and on that note <laughs> we'll leave it for this week thank you for joining us for another <laughs> making sense i tip my hat to you see you